Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. G'day everybody, welcome back to the pod. I'm Matt Walsh here with Jake Michaels and champion darters Christian Jolly to talk all things footy for another week. There's no shortage of talking points this week, Jake. Tribunal drama, uh, the likes I don't think which of which we've ever seen before. Uh, well, you uh, you made the the point earlier, or you asked the question, I should say, about is this a bigger tribunal, a finals tribunal uh, case than the Trent Cotchen bump on Dylan Shield? I think it um, is. I think it clearly is. I mean, we're talking about sort of modern history and and big incidents in in sort of the last decade we we're trying to think of. I think it clearly is, and we I think we're going to have a pretty uh, a pretty interesting debate about it a little bit later. But yeah, it's um. It was uh, for only four games. It was very good. Well, there's still a lot up in the air as well, heading into two big semi-finals. Uh, so there's plenty to chat about. But before we do crack into the pod this week, Jake, something you noticed from the week of footy? Just quickly, well, something I've just noticed in this first minute of the episode, you, you seem a little reserved today. You seem like you're just keeping a lid on the blue baggers. I don't know. You just me. Yeah, we'll get to the blues. You're not quite up and about, which is a little surprising. very up and about. My favorite day of the week podcast day. Eh? Yeah, no, that's true. He does say that every week. <laughs> um, something I noticed. Well, I think I noticed this round twenty four, and probably should have mentioned it then, but it's sort of carried on into finals. And it's the former Todd Marshall, and he's more important, most importantly, he's kicking for goal. Your man. My man, the guy I said I'd want kicking for my life. Um, not what, six not or seven sure weeks I, ago? <laughs> I think I did say it about seven weeks ago, and his form has tailed off then. But So in round 24, the power played uh, Frio. He kicked 0-0. Zero, zero. So you look at the stat sheet, and you'll see, oh, Marshall didn't, re- didn't do anything. He didn't kick a goal, didn't kick it behind. But he missed four shots completely. Yes, so he he's, gone, he's gone 0-0-4. Zero, zero, this week against um, Brisbane... I think it was, what was it, Christian? Was it one, two, and two? Two misses, yeah. Yeah, so he's missed... He, he hasn't just... Forget the behinds. He has missed six shots. Six of his shots in the last two weeks have not registered a score. And this is a guy that I know it was a it was a pretty bold call about kicking for my life, but I don't think it was crazy to suggest because he had been over the last couple of years, um, if not the most accurate kick for goal, certainly in the top sort of two or three in the league for it. So mm. the fact his form has just... Like he's, he, he, I don't know whether it's confidence or he's, you know, mechanics. The ball drop looks different. I don't know what it is, but it's just, it's just abandoned him at the wrong time. Yeah. So rounds one to 63 percent accuracy. Round fourteen onwards, which might have been around the time that you, <laughs> no, you put your life with him, was he's gone down to forty six percent. He must be listening. Sorry, Todd. <laughs> Todd, you got to, you got to reverse that moz somehow. He apparently is a little bit of a hip complaint as well, so yeah. they might be factoring into things. Port, we're going to talk I, about. I know, their I know what they're like. I'm, I'm battling a, a hip flexor issue of my own at the moment. Not great. Uh, but it wasn't a great week for a lot of players in front of goal. The pressure of finals must get to some of these guys. Like Bailey Fritch, one of the more reliable blokes in the uh, in the league, had one that went shot right angles. That was unbelievable. What about Harry Mackay? That could have been a big don't come Monday. <laughs> Harry Mackay, well, uh, he's going to miss in the end anyway. It was um, actually, that's a good point you make. It was, across the board, some horrible misses. And I mean, Pickett obviously, missed a obviously, pressure of finals, it uh, that has to play into it. I don't, you know, do, do you actually look at that in terms of does, does accuracy fall away in finals? I think we had a quick look. I think it dropped it slightly, but it was actually, yeah, it was just a slightly harder to score per inside 50. I think accuracy went slight down, but I mean, haven't looked at. 
Yeah. E- you know, how many Which is easier int- shots, you know, like something like, a you know, an expected score yeah. value of over four and a half, how many of those have been missed in finals compared to home and away? But it was. It was accuracy was a big story, you know, team-wise yeah. for this, this whole round. Because you'd think, you know, you the pressure of, oh, it's finals, got to kick this goal, you, you would miss more. But then we've, we've spoken about this numerous times, about kicks after the siren, there's no more pressure than that. And they kicked them nine out of ten times, it seems. So it's interesting, but so yeah. With a quick accuracy snapshot from the round, so the four teams that won all scored above their expected accuracy, the four teams that lost all scored below their expected Ooh. accuracy. Is that so. something you noticed? Uh, well, it could be, but I'll give you even more. <laughs> I'll, I'll just uh, probably something I've been banging on about and we've spoken about on the pod, so let's uh, bring it all to a conclusion, is the grand final curse. So yes. it did hold up for another uh, year. I was going to mention this, but thank you for bringing it up. So again, going back to 1996, 13 teams have lost the grand final by 40 points. Um only eight of those 13, or sorry, seven of those 13 have made finals next year for a combined record of zero and eight in those finals. And then just to compare, so if you lose a grand final by under 40 points, that's that's happened 15 times. The finals record in that is 40 finals played for 22 wins. So 22-18 in the finals uh, the next year after staying within 40 points of the grand final. And obviously if you win the grand final... Uh, it's down to it, it's up to thirty six wins in sixty four finals. So again, just over fifty percent. So a huge, I huge curse. It would be quite rare, I imagine it'd be quite rare that uh, two grand, well, the grand finalists of a year, um, neither of them won a final the following year. Like with the Cats not making it and Sydney losing first week, I, I can't imagine. Certainly, thinking recent sort of times, that wouldn't happen too much. Bulldog, no, Melbourne Bulldogs just last year. Melbourne didn't win a final. Mm. Bulldogs went out to Frio. Make- so yeah, there you go. Okay, very rare. It happened two years in a row. <laughs> uh, my something I noticed: uh, party time at the Gabba on uh, Saturday night after a certain point. It was quite tight there for a little bit. Some Brisbane fans were a bit more stressed than they might have liked, uh, given that game was up at the Gabba. But the thing I noticed: so Jared Lyons was the sub, uh, came mm. on and had pro- probably the the most immediate impact you can have Super as a sub. sub. Uh, kicked a goal, and I think it was 38 seconds after he'd come onto the ground. So it got me wondering if that's the, the quickest anyone who's been a sub has kicked a goal. Sure. Um, and we got Christian to look at this, and he found that, funnily enough, it's happened once before quicker. It's happened quicker once before, and it was also in a final. So yeah, the, the 2015 elimination final, Richmond North Melbourne. It was Reese Conker coming on and and scoring a goal. It was within 30 seconds. So he's, he's topped Jared Lyons by the eight seconds. Um, and again, another good piece of commentary. You can go find it on YouTube and the commentators are saying he's just on the ground and within 30 seconds he's going to kick a goal. So same as the commentary around lines. Everyone was aware of how quickly he had an impact. There you go. Uh, all right, let's get cracking. So, Jake, obviously the big talking point is Braden Maynard and his hit on Angus Brayshaw, uh, which has him going straight to the tribunal. And we're recording this Tuesday morning. Uh, it's going to the tribunal Tuesday evening, but we have a feeling that even regardless of what the oh, outcome it's gonna is... Drag on. Uh, it's going to be appealed one way or another. So the last player that was suspended for a grand final, I think, was Anthony Rocker in 2003. Long time ago. Uh, obviously, we talked about the, the Cochin incident with Dylan Scheel and how he got off, um, or it was it was brought down. I can't remember. Was it a preliminary final? I think it was a preliminary final. Yeah. So he got off, uh, and so we, we narrowly avoided it then. But uh, this is a bit more interesting. This is... According to the way that the current system is set up, he either gets zero weeks or he gets three because he's he's well, he's been at least careless. Um, he's hit him high and it's severe impact. Now, you're of the opinion that he should get off. And there are many out there that think he should get at least three and therefore miss the grand final. And I've got to be honest with you, I don't see what you're seeing. I think he has to be suspended for at least three matches. 
Okay, so let's let's talk about that then. So can you tell me why you think he should be suspended? Uh, because he's left the ground. He has not fulfilled the duty of care as someone as as looking at someone like Brayshaw who is defenseless in the kicking motion. You know, you can kind of look similarly to something like the NFL where there's the um, the roughing the kicker penalty. If, yeah. if the guy's in the kicking motion, it's and the we, most defenseless ha- he can be. That. Really, we have that with downfield free kicks, which we which get paid all the time. And and Maynard has decided to go and go hard, which obviously is his right, but he also has to bear the weight of the consequences. And now he has turned his shoulder, and he's hit him high, and he's knocked him out for two minutes. It's severe in every sense. Okay, of the word. so the 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 concussion is a byproduct of what's happened and of that- the act. And we've always said to suspend the act and the act of him turning the shoulder and hitting him in in the head. He hasn't turned his shoulder to lay a hard bump on Brayshaw's head. That's as clear as day. I, there's no. I don't think anyone's arguing that that oh, he's turned his I, shoulder to, I to think lay. He's turned his shoulder to make sure that was the part of his body that hit Brayshaw. I think the way I saw it with. with the, the contact was he was turning his shoulder almost for him to sort of brace for the contact as opposed for him to lay a hit. Would he have turned the shoulder like that if the contest had a few more players in it and it was his teammate that was coming at him? Yeah, but you could say that about anything. Like, So he's made the decision to do this and, 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 and turn the shoulder instead of, say, putting the hands out and like in a push-up motion sort of softening the, the, the blow if it, was, if it was someone on his own team. The decision that he made, and, and I know you were looking frame by frame at this kind of stuff, mm. but the decision he made was to, to, to turn the shoulder. And we've, we've learned that that's, if you hit him high, you've got to bear the consequences of your act. Yeah, totally disagree. I, I can't, in no way should this be a, a suspension. And I think um, the fact that uh, Angus Brayshaw has um, come off worse for wear and, and worse been for left with, a, it with a concussion is leaving everyone, yourself included, to call for a suspension. Had he not, had he got back up and played, I know we talk about this all the time. What would you be saying? You would not be arguing for a three-week suspension. Well, I, I, well, probably not. Maybe not three weeks, but I think he should be suspended for that because it's a really dangerous act. And and when you're the most defenseless on the ground is is when you've just kicked the ball and you don't have the time to brace yourself. I've been saying it on the pod for three or four years. I'm dead against the after disposal hits. That they're the ones that are going to be protected. I'm kicking or handballing the ball, and we've we've had so, this discussion on the pod for other ones where it's been a. Oh, Dugowie barely bumped him, but it was after disposal. So it all started off. Bu- it started off on on Friday morning, Friday afternoon. People were trying to call it a footy act. That's what happened. If it was a free kick paid downfield, the umpire saw it straight away. It's an illegal football act. So you do an illegal football act and knock someone out. You have got to suffer the consequences. You can't tell me that that is just a genuine football act and play on. It's a free kick he's against. It's against the, the laws of the game. He hit him late. He's, he's trying, trying to, to smother go- the boys. He's, he's in the air when. Brayshaw is kicking it. He hasn't... He's made a judgment of error. You can try and smother the ball, but he's misjudged where he and where Brayshaw are at the point of contact. I think if he is given a three-week suspension... To your point at the, uh, at the top here, there's only two ways you can go, regardless of how you feel about this, and, with, and that in we'll itself seems to be an yeah. issue. But it, it, it seems like it can only be a... You get you got no case to answer, or you're getting a three week suspension. It can't be. Oh, we'll just middle it and give you a one or two week um, suspension. So the the upshot of that is he's either going to be playing in a prelim or missing the grand final and maybe missing round one as well. So I, I just don't. Th- and either way, there's going to be this is going to leave. Um, well, this is going to have a lasting legacy on how we treat these. Exactly going right, and that, that's the the pertinent point, right? So the outcome is either going to be. If you choose to bump when there's another option, you'll miss if you connect, which which would I'm in that camp. 
you know, you got you got you get done, and, and by the current guidelines, that would be three weeks. And maybe the guidelines need up need updating, but that's a, a discussion for another day. I'm not, I'm not but, a... but 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 the other option is that the, the tribunal sees is well, the head is sacrosanct unless there's a grand final on the line, and this is the bit does not sit well with me at all. Never, never sat well with me, and we've spoken about this on the. Uh, you've brought it up on the pod. Oh, would you want that to be paid in a grand final? Would you want a final in a home like? I might be going against what everyone else out there is saying, but all game of footballs need to be officiated and ruled the same ruled way. The same I, way. I don't care what next week is. I, I, I don't care, but I'm people not, are trying to say he shouldn't miss a grand final for this. I'm not, I've am not. i never said he shouldn't miss the grand final. I'm saying if this is That's round fine. seven, he should not be suspended for three weeks. Yep. He should not be suspended. Oh, you're probably one of the first people to put yeah, that out there. I would like I, to hear other people say the same final. thing. Yeah. I don't care that it's Braden Maynard. I don't, and, and, and people will dispute this, and you guys might laugh this off, but I know it's 100% true. If this is Scott Pendlebury doing this, no one is calling for the three-week suspension. That's just not happening. There's people that, people have a problem with Braden Maynard and the way he plays, and people want to stick the boots in. I'm not I'm not jumping up and down saying I'm a massive Braden Maynard fan, but I think it's been taken a little bit out over the top here. Uh, look, I, I think given what we've discussed and, and how how you can look, I think he has to get suspended for three weeks, and I think that if he doesn't. Given the context and everything we've just talked about, it would be a, a terrible, terrible look for the AFL. And that's that's not using the the, the fallback, you know, quote unquote, excuse of there are looming concussion um, but we are. lawsuits we're, we're and all that ta- sort we're, of we're stuff. Looking, but we're, it, t- we're looking at the concussion and penalising a player for but that you, But you can stamp out these turn shoulder acts by suspending these properly. But you can then stamp it all, out these But then acts. it all comes back to. And I agree with that. We don't want to see concussions, but then it should all come back to the act rather than the outcome. Yeah, because this is what it's it a seems bad to act. come down. Your defenseless you're, because player, you're, you're, turn I, shoulder. I don't necessarily agree with what you're saying, but your argument for him to get a three week suspension is the fact that he's jumped up well, and turned no, his no, no, shoulder. No. I'm not saying he needs a three week suspension. I'm saying or he needs to be suspension. suspended to the guidelines, and the current guidelines are uh, maybe not yeah. quite equipped for for the the situation we find ourselves in. But the beauty but, of, but it should not be a, a the penalty should not be more severe because Brayshaw but was under the left current concussed. system that's the way. But it, it is. shouldn't be. But it's the current system. Yeah, I understand it, but it shouldn't be. Okay, and the beauty of the tribunal is. You can go there, and if you're not guilty, you're going to get off, right? So the reason I bring this up is Michael Christian, it's been revealed that he didn't want to send it to the tribunal. He mm. didn't think it was a citable offence. This is the MRO, the match yep. review officer. Now, he was overruled by um, Laura Kane, the new GM of football, Gill, and Andrew Dillon. The fact that this had to happen, and Michael Christian thought this was not a citable offence and did not want to send this to the tribunal, is quite frankly, he has to go, doesn't he? has to go. If you don't think that that's worthy of being cited and going to the tribunal where you can get off if you're not guilty, he is so out of touch with where football is and where football's going. And if the three-person panel, the EGM, the next in-line CEO and the current CEO think, no, 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 that needs to go to the tribunal. Mm. I'm sorry. We need to get rid of this current MRO. Replace it with, I think we need to go back to a panel. You can't just have one guy that's you know, ferociously one watching opinion. these footy games and, 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 and combing yeah. through every contest. Because uh, it's just not good enough. I don't necessarily disagree with what you're saying, but I do think it hi- sort of highlights how polarizing this act and this gig. topic has been. Because, I feel bad for Chris O, but it, but it's not good enough. But um, and, and you know, the, as you said, where this is where it's Tuesday at eleven twenty six right now, <laughs> and you, um, we have no idea how tonight will go. I have no idea. And it's not going to end tonight. tonight. Yeah, exactly. and it's Tonight's going to end. end. And it's just going to go on and on. And like, you know, for, for everybody's sake, you want to know sooner rather than later what the outcome is. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty... When I first saw it, and, and because when, it was, when I was watching live, 
uh, off the TV, I, you know, you saw, you could, you didn't quite see it straight away, and then you saw. I, it. I knew it was going to happen. I could see it happening, and they cut to like the shot of the forward line. I said, I, I want to know what's happened there because yeah. something bad's definitely just happened. And when I, when they initially showed the replay, I thought, ah. Oh, it's not anywhere near as bad as I thought it was, and that's the opinion I've I've held, and that's how I feel. And I would be, I think he could consi- he would be, he would not, he should not necessarily feel aggrieved, but I think he would be have every right to feel a little hard done by if he got a three game suspension for that. Fair enough, disagree, but fair enough. Uh, should we talk some footy? Of course, <laughs> I feel like that's going to be a. Um, Hot debate on the old social media. Big time. We might have to clip that up for the socials. Uh, key start from every game is the segment that we've had this year, and there were four big games, obviously starting on Thursday night with the Pies win over the Ds. Now, the Ds, we might get to their inaccuracy and their forward structure a little bit later, but um, just woeful in front of goal at times, and, and I had a look at their shot chart from from Thursday night. and Just, just try- take too many hard shots. Hard shots, too far out, bad angles. Um, it, it was just really disappointing, and they really kind of fluffed a chance to uh to make, to win through to a preliminary final and and what were you able to see from this game christian yeah it's the it was a lot what we talked about before leading into the game is melbourne were probably going to win the inside 50 count they had that ability to keep the ball down there but they were the fifth worst at converting those into a score so and that was the problem basically all night so you look at you know talk about accuracy i mean it was eight missed shots so you know jake sort of spoke about before everyone's obsessed with looking at the goals and behinds column there is another column behind that that doesn't take into account all shots that are completely missed eight missed shots for melbourne only one for collingwood on the night that's the equal second biggest differential in a game this season um and that obviously comes in a final which hurts even even little things like 53 points is the fourth fewest score fourth lowest score from a team that got 69 inside 50s or more so that's how many wow. inside 50s melbourne in finished with yeah, not that's, just final. Yeah, that's that's in any game. So um, it's been you know over two, about two hundred and twenty nine games where teams had sixty nine or more inside fifties. Average wow. score in those games one hundred and twenty six points. That's so you, unbelievable. You get it in there sixty nine times, you're going to get about two points per entry. They were below one. Uh, I'm really interested in your thoughts on Max Gorn's comments after the game. So spoke to Channel Seven in the aftermath and described it. You know how we always talked about when the when the Tigers were flying like a Richmondy win kind of thing. Mm. Um, he, he described it as a very Melbourne loss, I think referring to those inside 50s and the inability to capitalise well, well, on Well, a th- real throwback to a few years ago Big when time. that seemed to be the issue that was plaguing them. Yeah, and, and, and it just seems like it's something that either they can't control or the, the instruction is to just get it in there and hope and, and hope to retain but I, but it. But or... I think a lot of this sort of... The, the connection and the scoring and the accuracy and all, all of this can fluctuate week to week. Uh, it really can. And like we've spoken about Todd Marshall. Like he's gone from... You don't just go from being the best kick in the in the comp to the worst like it, overnight. He It'll come back. It's just a matter of will it come back this week yeah, against I should have updated the recent week. So I remember looking at Melbourne. First nine rounds of the season, they were the number one accurate side and they scored above accuracy nine weeks in a row. By round 18, no, so nine games later, might have been round 19 because they had a buy in that. Nine games later... They were sort of back down below middle of the pack for accuracy. But in those nine rounds isolated, they were the worst for accuracy. And nine in a row were below mm. their expected score. So it was amazing that you sort of talk about, yeah, it come fluctuate week by week. But Melbourne had a, a an amazing stretch mm. of good accuracy and an amazingly bad stretch of bad accuracy. So it's come to hurt them. And you talk about the Melbourne sort of, you know, typical Melbourne loss. So again, looking at the last five seasons, there have been 35 games where teams had 15 or more inside 50s and lost. Six of those 35 have been Melbourne. 
uh, doing it themselves. Uh, I think Bulldogs have done it four and a couple other teams are on three. So basically twice as many as most of the other competition. If you increase that number to having 20 more inside 50, so again, we spoke about on uh, Thursday night, it was a plus 32 differential, but I just plus 20 um, and, and lost the game. That's only happened 15 times in the past five years and four of those have been by Melbourne. So yeah, I think Max Gordon had, had plenty of memories of them doing similar things in similar games in recent years. So the one thing that stands out to me, and, and you talk about Melbourne's inefficiency in front of goal, is Collingwood's efficiency. And the stat that, that, that I'm looking at here is that there have been three times where a team has won a final with fewer than 39 inside 50s. One of them was in that 2020 year, which was shortened yeah. quarters, obviously. Mm. Um, one of them was Thursday night, and the other was in 2012. So you have to go back a long time for a team that... I mean, could we call Collingwood fortunate that the Ds were unable to get their mojo going in front of the sticks or, or is it just, you know, that's the way that Collingwood can play and set up defensively? Well, what, is the, what did the expected scores say? Uh, so it had Melbourne... Melbourne winning, I would uh, say. Yeah, I, think, by... I think that was the case, wasn't it? Yeah. So... Um, and, and we talked about players like um, Fritch missing some easy ones and, yeah. and Cozzy Pickett having a few no scores as well. Yeah, so it should have been Melbourne 60, sorry, 76 to uh, 62, so plus 14 their way it yeah. should have been. Uh, but but yeah, even sorry, but even that, like, what did you say, 76? To, to only score 76 points, and that's sort of best case from what they well, what they should have done. Yeah, because they weren't to, to, but generating to was, high quality shots yeah. either. Yeah, so they were scoring below, but they were also scoring below from pretty scrappy shots anyway. But from what you said before about if you have uh, however many inside 50s, they had 69 inside 50s, um, you're, you're averaging a, over 100 points. Like, that's so far off where they need to be. And we know it's a final, but... Um, Look, I, I do think it can it can come back. Are you going to be surprised if they pile on 100 points this week? Absolutely not, no. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, but it's very interesting to see that. And, and you, yeah, Collingwood have kind of continued what they've been able to do at different times this year and just turn it on in early patches. And well. it was it was the first quarter. So 4-2 um, in the first quarter by Collingwood. So again... Four, four goals, two. Four goals, yep. two they scored in the first quarter. and um, So I think they were... What were they? 5-4 for the rest of the games. Almost half their score um, came in that first quarter. But yeah, at quarter time, they were plus 9 for contested possessions, plus 2 inside 50s. They had 15 inside 50s to the name in the first uh, quarter. Finished with 22 in the next three quarters. So it was a complete domination by Melbourne. But again, Collingwood just held on. And, and Collingwood have been really, really good defensively. We spoke about them earlier in the year. Everyone loved their transition game. Thought they were just so great moving the ball. Mm. But they were one of the best teams defensively. And they just don't get scored against heavily. But for three quarters, they just had to hold on. But it was it was giving themselves that head start in the yeah. first quarter. They've been the second best first quarter team this year. Only Geelong are above them. Geelong are helped by a massive game against West Coast and Hawthorne. I think there's two huge first quarters they have that put them above Collingwood. But outside of that, Collingwood are the number one team in first quarters to your point before about whether pie is lucky to win this game based on all I hate using the word luck but well yeah fortunate whatever you want to say um a little bit like if this game's if, if this game this exact game with the way it played out you know is played out 10 times melbourne should be winning that seven eight out of ten at least yeah and you, you know, like I it's think... not to take anything away from collingwood but the, melbourne lost the game as opposed to collingwood winning it wow okay yeah that's fair i mean look that's finals footy, isn't it? Really, oh, it is. you can and you can like get you have, said, a, you have a strong start. Yeah. You get jumped. You start getting nervous. You start fluffing kicks. It's just the. It's not know, that Collingwood didn't deserve to win. It's they, not the pressure they, on the pressure scale, yeah. but it's the pressure in your head about about having to sort of catch up yeah. or or whatever it might be. And so. look, a lot of people think that this game could be played again. Like this could could be could the well be. final, and and maybe it is. Um, but and as you say, you wouldn't be surprised if the D's win, scoring one hundred and twenty. No, absolutely not. And we, we were sort of saying we're towards the back end of the year, we were looking at Melbourne's forward line, and you think, gee, they're, they're, 
it's not quite what we come to expect. But yeah. then they were still kicking 90, 90 plus each week, um, and they were getting contributors. So, so you know. yeah, again, in saying that they might play again, again, I'm big on. If I'm a coach and I'm looking, that's why expected scores. It might not be, you know, everyone's bread and butter, and some people sort of, especially if you're a Collingwood supporter and Dane Swan. saw Dane Swan, you know, tongue in cheek comment, and that's fair enough. You know, if you're an outside supporter, you've, you've won the game fair and square. You don't want to hear about it an yeah. alternative score that doesn't help. But if I'm a coach, I'm leaning a little bit on expected scores just to just 100%. to let me know how much do we need to fix, what do we need to improve, Tweak, not even where fix. Did, exactly where do we win? Oh, and it's also if they do play again, it, it's a it's a massive confidence but boost. I know you can say, oh, we actually we, we didn't win the game, mm. but it's like. Yeah, but if you do what you did again... but and that's, we... and that's probably one that... So in the last five times they played, Melbourne's won the inside 50 count four times, only won the game once. So Oof. we talk about it, but Collingwood do have that ability to go, okay, Melbourne are going to come at us. We need to just be able to repel for as much as we can. Yeah. Uh, Friday night, Carlton, Sydney, 92,000 at the MCG. Can, um, we, can, we, can we put our nuffy hats on for I will allow seconds? you 30 seconds of nuff time. Go that's for a lot. It. I don't need that much. It was unbelievable. I mean, it was you were there. I was up in Sydney uh, for for the UFC um, and watching on, and just yeah, the the scenes at the at the well, the last thirty seconds really, um, full time siren, mm. some of the shots around the ground before the game started, unbelievable. And, and like, um, you know, to be to go ten years without a final and to to actually you know get the win in the first one back and so many contributors and just a great game and not the usual contributors from Carlton yeah and this is but this has been a theme over the last two months really going right back to when they when the Blues got on the run it was each game it seemed to be it wasn't just relying on Cripps and Kerner who were obviously great in the back stretch but we had games where Walsh was our best player where Cherry was the best player and we had games where Harry Mackay played an important role Newman and yeah so everyone's play there's just about everyone playing has had a game where they've been in the best four or five players in the last 12 weeks. So uh, it's it's an incredible run. Does it continue this week? Who knows? But um, I think the one thing that is clear, and you know, I think we all agree as Carlton supporters, is that the the, se- the season's a tick now. Anything else from here is a bonus. Like, if they make a prelim, that, that's huge. But I don't think anyone now is going to be disappointed. I mean, you're sure you'll be disappointed, but you're not going to be... F- filthy if Carlton bow out to Melbourne let's, in a semi-final. Let's given, hold the semi-final given, thoughts. Given where they were. We can talk about Friday night a little bit more. Um, to your point, yeah, I think probably yeah. the second loudest crowd I've ever been a part of. So I, I was at that Richmond GWS game. Uh, yeah. A few, it was a qualifying final uh, a while back and it was about 94 or 5,000 there. Was that and there qualifying final? 300, 300 GWS pre- fans. Um, wasn't that a prelim? Was that the prelim? Maybe it was the wasn't prelim. Wasn't that the game that we were talking oh, about? Oh, yes, it yeah. was, yes. Uh, and and that yellow and black was possibly the loudest thing It was thing like I've not, heard. yeah. Um, was, but the Blues, the they weren't far off on Friday night. just be like, here, a pin drop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very much so. Whereas at least the Swannies had a, a few thousand yeah, in, in, a few the, people, in the stands. Yeah. But yes, the Blues, um, I think quite impressive. I think they withstood a late barrage pretty well. And, and you talk about a team that you know, almost literally 12 months earlier had really struggled to sort of contain themselves in those mm. big games and in those big moments. Uh, and, and Newman, to start to your point, that, that final mark, um, just able to to relieve the pressure. And the defensive unit's been so strong all season. Mm. Um, the midfield, Cripps was was tagged pretty well by Callum Mills. I don't think Cripps had his anywhere near his best influence. No. I also think he's playing with broken ribs. 100%. And I don't think he... I mean, that's that sums up where Carlton is at the moment. And the fact that Cripps can... can not be a no-show, but not have inf- have a significant influence on the game and Carlton can still win. And um, and 
enjoy a midfield win with the other guys stepping up is is massively important. And that wouldn't have happened. That would not have been the case two or three years ago. Uh, and it started really from the second quarter. They really, really took it away from the Swans. Yeah, I've been big on the second quarter all year. And I, I remember coming in here after the Gold Coast Gold Suns Coast, game yeah. and saying that was, you know, watch that first quarter and it was uh, abysmal. And sort of turned to my son and said, well, no more after this quarter. At halftime, if we're close or in front, that's when I'll be happy because second quarter's are where... Are you talking about Gold Coast or Sydney? Uh, the, the Gold Coast game yeah, yeah. Up, up on the Gold Coast by Carlton where I think they conceded seven goals in the first quarter. Oh, but... sorry. I thought you meant the, the the game in round 14, I think, when we started this, this win. Well, that also. Uh, no, it was the second one. Didn't we play them later in the season? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, later they yeah, played later, later up yeah. there. Um, but yeah, so second quarters this year, plus 191 points, clearly the best of any team. So they ranked number one score differential in the second quarter, ninth in the first quarter, 13th in the third quarter, and fifth in the last quarter. So they finished games off pretty strongly. But again, as a, as a Carlton supporter and looking at that game, the second quarters are somehow just... And it's it's been like that for almost two years under Voss. I don't know if that makes him a reactive coach or just one of those coaches that can, you know, whether that's a tick that you can I you can react on the fly. But 100%. are you not prepared enough pre-game? Is that, you know, that's that's the that's the chicken and the egg sort yeah, of question. It, I guess, the but it B shows question. that yeah. you're prepared to make changes. I mean, yeah. a lot of, there are coaches that are just stubborn with what they want to do and so, they won't yeah. make in, changes. In that quarter, four goals, three to one goal, one, plus 17 contested possessions in one quarter. So obviously, you know, that's on track to win by about 60 across a game. It's just unheard of to win. 16, eight inside 50. So twice as much entries in that quarter. And yeah, as I said, just it just dominated. But across the game, again, go back to last week's pod, and we're talking about Carlton's strength was stoppages. Mm. Sydney's strength was probably going to be, if, you, if you're comparing the two teams, their strength was going to be from turnover. Carlton only scored 22 points from clearances. Third fewest in a win, um, in a winning game for them this season, um, and outscored Sydney from turnover. So another, again, I'll put my nuffy hat on for just 10 seconds here. Another sort of proud stat to look at as a Carlton supporter is we won a different way. And I'll use the word we for the yeah. next 10 seconds, but it, it was, it was... Something that you thought, okay, we've only got one way to play and we're so good at it. We weren't dominant at the clearances, but yeah, the turnover game was was one one bit that stack up and able to sort of mm. win the game that way. Talk about, about sorry, just spoke about Cripps not having a, a huge influence on the game. Same same can be said of uh, Charlie Kerno as well. Kicked an early goal, but was, McCartan held him very well. Oh, played re- played really well, and in in the conversation with a handful of best players on the ground. Um, so again, to be able to win a final without your two best players. Firing. Firing, yeah. I mean, it's it's Matt Cottrell stands up, plays the best game of his career. Blake Akers running from, you know, literally goal line to goal line and was... Well, save, save two. Save two and kicked one. So, you know, three goals better side because of because of Blake Akers. So this is what you talk about when you're getting I mean, Carlton's it, contributors. There's another, and, there's another little one that's, you know, a bit of a hint there. I love score involvement. It's just what you, when you get the ball and how often your team scores from that. When Harry Mackay went off, he was leading Carlton exclusively with scoring. He had seven score involvements and everyone else. I think Chera had six and there was a few people on five. So. Two of them should have been goals from the goal square. Exactly, like he missed. But again, even when he just clunked it at the top of the square, I was happy with that. Like I know, I know the miss, you know, was shocking and terrible. But I sort of went, oh well, at least he's marked it 10, 15 meters out from goal. Yeah. So it was a good start. But again, he he sort of you know got got the action going. And I thought Adam Saad was really really valuable. Twenty one kicks, two handballs. That's the stat for me for Adam Saad. Get, mm. Give it to him and get him kick to, it, yeah. kick it down the field. Uh, Swans, a couple of positives I think you can take out of this, despite the obviously the grand final curse. Errol Goulden, I, I think he can win the Brownlow as soon as next. Next year, Jake, you're the Brownlow guy, but his his damage with the ball, his um, ability to see the next play evolve and actually run to spots where he will be damaging, his yeah. his kicking for goal, his uh, uh, just that left boot, mwah, chef's kiss, chef's kiss. Uh, I'm laughing because every not you, everyone's guilty of it, probably myself included, but 
the amount of people we say are going to win a Brownlow medal, do we realise only one of these get handed out each year? Yeah. Like, <laughs> don't you remember Gold Coast are going to win five of the next ten flags? When oh, it's GWS. <laughs> oh, both of them. Uh, yeah, that's fair. Um, and then... But no, he's certainly... Oh, he's his stocks are rising big time. Um, certainly in the back half of this year, what he's been able to do since uh, the buys, he is the favourite to poll the most Brownlow votes from round 15 onwards. So... Mm. Uh, no, he's had a great back half to the year, obviously All-Australian. And um, the interesting thing, so this game, it was only a six-point margin in the end. So you know, people may remember me talking about Chad Warner in the grand final last year, had a massive claim to best on ground. I think rating points said he was best on ground, didn't get it. It wasn't in consideration for the Norm Smith medal. Okay. Um, Errol, uh, Errol, I was about to say Eric Goulden there, because I've said that five times after the commentary. Errol Goulden... Um, only one coach's vote for yes. that performance. No, no, two, but only one coach voted for him. It was was it two? I thought it got I one. I think he got two, and only one coach voted for him. Okay, well, either way, not many. No, that's, is that is that surprising? I, I, walking out of the, I, I worked on the game in the office, and walking out of it, I said after that game, the first two finals, the best player's been in the losing team. I thought Max Gorn was best on ground on the Thursday night, and I thought Errol was best on ground on Friday night. Yeah, it's interesting. I thought. Um, yeah, I thought he was a little bit stiff then. But not, like I said, I, you can understand it when the margin is 90 points, but it was one kick. If if it was two, it was two. If if um, if Sydney win it by a point, is he getting nine? Like, it, you can't make that much of a jump based on one other one more goal. Uh, Giants and St Kilda. So the Giants just keep winning. So the 11th venue that they've won at this year. That was a good stat. I did see that. Yeah, and that they're happy to kind of take it anywhere. And I think that's a bit of that sort of chip on the shoulder attitude that they're taking are into. You on, are you on the Tom Green bandwagon? Oh, I love Tom Green. See, he's another Brownland. So we've got 10 Tom Green <laughs> fan club up at Canberra has got a new member. Yeah. Uh, Throw another one. And just, you know, they're going to... Um, Adelaide Oval this week. They're seven, and ele- seven out of their past 11 at Adelaide Oval as well. So you talk well, about how well they've travelled, and this is one of the venues they've travelled well to. Uh, but they were they were very good. And you talk about St Kilda being a very staunch defensive team. These This is a giant side that was able to pile on uh, 101 points, yeah, uh, and, which is... And resilient. And this is this was kind of the theme throughout the, the round, really, um, or, the, or the first week of finals. We saw it with Carlton, challenged by Sydney and then having to score again. When we saw it again with uh, the Giants, when the Saints made a couple of runs, they just were able to keep keep holding them. And that seemed to be a bit of a theme uh, with the way it went, and even with the with the final game being a bit of a blowout. But when when Port actually hit the front, that was yeah. like Brisbane's like, right, let's, let's get going. forget that the Saints now. got within three goals. And there was yeah, a big crowd there, 68,000 would have been very loud, but credit to the, the Giants. Yeah, no, that, they are a very... Um, they've been the story of the year now. Coach of the year, Kingsley. Oh, I think he, I think he is. Now that they've won the final, I think now they've won a final. I mean, look, if Carlton go and win, win, win yeah, the flag, be, I think be it's got to be Voss. Two, but yeah. yeah, I think that what those two have been able to do, um, and two totally different coaches. Voss obviously under immense pressure with the way Carlton's season was tracking. Kingsley, I mean, a lot of people had uh, the Giants as a bottom four team this year. I don't think that was a crazy. Prediction. I think I had him bottom four, bottom six. I, I didn't expect much. I know you. Top eight. I, yeah. I know Christian. Oh, I just was said that. Would, I didn't. I don't think I had to put a, a spot on him, but I, I, I said they'd be you, the big you, riser. You were very. You, you liked what you saw in preseason. You liked the way they yeah. were playing, and their um, movement is irresistible. But I still don't think anyone thought they will be, you know, playing in the second week of finals. Did, and you, a team did you that, think that someone like Toby Bedford would be so important to that no. structure, that half forward role where he's up and down running? Yeah. The, the half backs were, were prolific again. The way that they run and they carry as a team where yeah. they move the ball by the, hand love, or foot yeah I love uh, the, it, the role I, Bedford's playing and I love yeah. I love Daniels and I think having those two guys playing just a little bit higher up the ground it just takes 
a little bit of the focus away from Green. It helps Toby Green as yeah. well. So. And, and so Toby having... Bedford, sorry. So Toby Bedford this year is the third most uh, forward half pressure points of any general forward ever across wow. the season. So he's just ever. been doing it week in, week out. Just Who's he you, know who, you know who could use that right now in their forward line? Melbourne? No. <laughs> yeah. Oh, a few teams could. Yeah. Um, who do you, do you have the other names? Uh, no, I'm trying to think off the top of my head who they'd... No, I can't. It'd be it'd be Jan, Dan Butler or Castagno, I reckon, in the Richmond years, or even Kane. Lab. Like they again, that was early pressure days. Those yeah. guys were like having a, a having a um, challenge against each other. Um, and credit to uh, I mean, a bit of a makeshift forward line, really. You talk about Riccardi um, and what he's been able to produce. He fluffed a couple, but he kicked a couple and was really important as a target down there. But also Hogan, Jesse Hogan. You know, Jesse Hogan. Hogan four years ago was on the canvas. Mm. Uh, and now he's, you know, a focal point in this giant forward line. When well. you know, you're no, thought... not going to put the moz on another guy, but he's been a reliable. <laughs> uh, sorry, Jesse, in advance on that one. Uh, anything else from this game before we move on to the uh, lines? I of think power? The, again, listening to the Ross line talk about, it, I think he sort of put the heat on the midfield and, and sort of the way they play. So that you just spoke about number one defensive team all year. They had yeah. that down pat. But yeah, just in the midfield. So if you look at clearances in the midfield, so this is including centre bounces and then all ball ups and throw ins around the field. Uh, in in the midfield zone, it was twenty nine to thirty one GWS's way. So only two fewer clearances for the Saints, but the score from those were eight four to three one. So it's that ability to spread from that initial contest. So you got guys like and and Jack Steele's probably the big big one on this. He had eighteen contested possessions for the game, sixteen contested possessions at the stoppages, two outside of those. So compare him to Tom Green, who was the biggest contested possession winner midfielder for the Giants, nine uh, pre clearance, eight out in general play. So again, able to able to get on that spread. Feel like that's just let sit St Kilda down for most of the game this year. In, in terms of they're that, all right at the contest, but and that does out. feel a bit of a knock, or, or has been a bit of a knock. At least what my eye tells me watching the Saints, because they can be. You know, Ron Marshall as well. He does win a lot of contested ball for Ruckman, but it's it's at that stoppage. And same as Brad Crouch and yep. a lot of these guys. Once the ball sort of is in the space, they they do look a little bit slow. We've talked about this on the pod. They they are one paced. They need a bit of pizzazz in that that midfield, but broadly, I think you still call their season a pass. Oh yeah, yeah. Speaking yeah, of, the, we need to update our pass. Were, correct me if I'm wrong. Were they the only team to stay in the top eight all year? I know they were in the top eight all year. I don't know if there so was someone else question. that joined them, but yeah, that's that's the one record. You know, they keep hearing about the Saints. Like, well, Con- they did. Con- Con- I know it's disappointing season. to lose a home elimination final, but uh, at the end of the day, I don't think many Saints fans would have been going into the year, especially you know, with Max King out for the first third of it, expecting a finals berth. Um, so yeah. look. Obviously, there's room for improvement for the Saints, and you can kind of see where that needs to come from pretty immediately. Yeah. Um, you also can't really overestimate how much of a an impact the news about Tim Membry might have been in, yeah. in the lead up to the game happening the night before. Where you know we hope he's doing okay yeah, with his, his, his yep. struggles, but but you, you just don't know how that impacts a playing group as well. Yeah. So I think there's still plenty to come from the Saints, um, Brisbane, and Port Adelaide. Mm, Talk about um, a team that scores prolifically well and again talking about winning a different way they've been the best side at scoring from turnover all year a lot of their points have come from turnover their ability to to, you know turn an opposition turnover into score is the best of anyone and their ability to protect their own turnover has been the best of anyone that's how they got themselves to the finals get to a final against Port Adelaide they kicked 81 points from clearances second most ever (laughs) kicked in a final so they've, they've been the number one clearance team all year they've been able to get their hands to the ball first and get it moving first Hasn't necessarily translated to a huge differential on the scoreboard for him, but in this game, that that was the difference. And another surprising one, I'll throw it out there, even though I, I can't agree with it, no one agrees with it. Next to me, the expected scores in this one were 100 to 98. Uh, that's staggering. It, exactly. Sometimes you look at it and go, oh, it gives you a good gauge of the game. 
that doesn't quite tell you how far Port actually were out <laughs> well, of the game. Like Port, so, I spoke about uh, Marshall. They, they missed some early chances. Marshall, Marshall, Lysette, the, the Rainer goal that from the boundary, that would have been a very yeah. low expected score. So it was it was sort of close in terms of, yeah, Marshall had to keep those goals and Port. But it never felt close after half-time. Yeah. yeah, that's fair. I, I, look, and that's that's Brisbane's MO at home, is they just grind and grind, and you can be mm. playing a good game, but they're going to just continue to do it. And so they're undefeated at the Gabba now. Well, this is the thing. So of, of the six teams remaining, is yes. Brisbane the most likely to be playing in the grand final? they got the yeah. best chance of being there. I think so. I, I mean, they have to the D's, the D's might be able to go there and cause a bit of a ruffle. They might the be feather. able to, but they've got to get through Carlton first. They do. Um, and then they've got to go up there and win on the road. So that, that's that's a t- tall order. <laughs> yep. um, and, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's... The, the I think everyone thought their chance was um, when the grand final was in Brisbane, they had it all kind of set up for them. There was so much pressure on that, though. I think this year has been their best year. Do the numbers say they're playing better now than they ever have? Uh, again, they've got the, the the turnover game was as strong as anyone else's, and their number one clearance differential. So probably yes, they've been number one in a few more areas than they've previously been um, mm. in other years. Well, yeah, that's interesting. The pressure's now on them as well. So we were talking about this pre-pod as as Carlton fans, and you sort of say, well, now that anything that Carlton does is is a free ride, right? A bit of a free hit. Yeah. But as you look at a team like Brisbane, who have been there before, and the expectations are now higher and they haven't been able to make a grand final the pressure is on them to perform so the fact they got that first one out the way look it's good but they still do have at least two more wins to go if they want to sort of i don't know mm. tick the box i guess so, the, so to speak oh, i think Just the big individual performance from that game humor cluggage um led brisbane for disposals contested possessions ground ball gets uh score assist and uncontested possession so i said uh, led them for the inside winning Led them for the outside winning as well for the contested possessions and uncontested possessions, and then able to hit the scoreboard with four score assists. So, I think he was like one of the main differences in that middle part of the game to get Brisbane ahead. Cam Rayner, around goals. I think you got to keep him there. You can't be putting him back into the into defence as they try never, to do it. Never again. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a pretty easy decision. Uh, good stuff. So this week now, attention turns to a couple of really big semis, uh, and there's some still big storylines to emerge. So the Demons and the Power and the Blues will all have forced changes to make. Uh, the Giants will look to get Cornelio in, so there's going to be a, a couple of changes there you would suspect as well. going to be a fascinating weekend of footy. Jake, quickly off the top, can you make a case for either of the qualifying final losers to have a straight sets exit? Uh, I think you can make a case for both. Wow, okay. Um, and the one I'm going to make a greater case for is Port. You spoke about it before, the pressure with uh, Brisbane. Well, yes, I totally agree, but the, there's... There's less pressure now. Like the, the pressure valve has been released with that first win. If they lose a prelim, it's going to be disappointing. But if they win that, regardless of what happens in the grand final, it's it's they've taken a step, Brisbane. They're going in the right direction. Port, the, the issue with Port has been they, they can consistently get to finals, but then they're falling short time and time again. They haven't made a grand final under Ken, Ken Hinckley. Mm. Is it three preliminary final losses? Yeah, a couple of home tenure. ones as well in that, that tenure. The pressure was obviously on early. We, we've we've spoken about uh, the Warren Treadray untenable call, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they, they go on this thirteen-game winning streak. They become you know just about flag favourites along with Collingwood, um, but then that that is snapped by Carlton, and they haven't really been able to get back to their best form. Now the issue with Port is they lose their first final. They go back home, and now all of a sudden, the team that was halfway through the year was. Ken Hinckley deserves a contract extension. Our oh, Port's finally figured it out. 
Now they're one game away from all of this blowing up in their face and the spotlight being back on to say if everyone's going to be saying what the hell happened with Port Adelaide. And the team that they're playing is probably the team they want to play. I mean, you don't want to play any of these teams. They're all capable of winning. But the Giants, the Giants are more than capable of causing an upset. So the, the power have a couple of added sort of little wrinkles in here as well. So Trent McKenzie is going to have to miss, which means they're continually, they're going to be continue they to be undersized. Be any, they won't be playing Tom Jonas. Well, he's, he's, he's injured. I think his calf is, is yeah. still giving him troubles. So there's a really big sele- uh, question mark at the selection table. You know, and we talked about the Giants' targets up forward and just how they've been rather honest. Mm. And so, you know, Lear's back there. Did they send Finlayson back? This is a team that has struggled defensively and this, this year. A, and this is going to have a domino effect as well. So, if, you know, if someone like Finlayson go, goes back, you, then you've got a forward line of... Dixon um, comes in, probably. Yeah, I mean, Marshall, Marshall, I imagine, will play, but we, we spoke about it before, he's battling a hip issue. Um, there's Dixon and, and Lord as well, Ollie Lord, who actually did play quite well, but there's a difference between playing, you know, as a third or fourth option as opposed to a second option. So... Mm. Uh, yeah, no, there are. There are a few questions. I mean, but then you look at the Giants, and as you said, they're going to bring one of their best players back in, in Steve Cornelio. I, I think the Giants. I think the Giants might be my pick in this game because Port's defensive, um, th- their mo doesn't stack up for finals. Yeah, and we've been sort of questioning it all year and saying, you know, when even when they were on top of the ladder, saying, well, they've got that one part of their game which was their forward half territory. It wasn't the ball was barely getting down the other half, but when it was, their back six was one getting scored against, but two. Losing contest, so they're the, they're the worst defensive one-on-one team. They're the, I think, third or fourth worst um, contested ball team once the ball hits the ground, the defenders versus the opposition forwards. Um, and the other one I noticed is they've conceded the most uh, goal or the highest percentage of goals from free kicks this year. So bad at losing one-on-ones, a bit panicky when they do get sort of one-on-one. They, they, they're very, um, you know, vulnerable of giving away a free kick in front of goal. So... If you look at round 13 onwards in, in the Giants' best time, they're, they're the second best team at scoring for points four. They're the number one team of scoring from points from turnover. Uh, Port are 11th in terms of defending Yeesh. points from turnover. So you talk about all of Port's weaknesses are part of GWS's strengths going into this game. Massive but again, warning side. But they beat if, them earlier in the year. And again, yeah. And, and if you look at that game, I think we spoke about I should go look at my notes again. But, but Port beat, it was a 20-minute... Brisbane by 50 points. But Port beat GWS in a 20-minute period. And I think for the other 100 minutes of that game, I made a case that it was very, very even. It was just that Port were able to get about a four or five goal real um, advantage quickly and, and sort of put the game to bed. But for a lot of that game, they didn't win the inside 50 count. I think in the first half, they may have been behind. And it was very rare for a team to be able to win territory against Port. GWS were able to do it for half a game. Again, that's that's the one thing that Port will just need to rely on. At Adelaide Oval, get the ball rolling mm. their way first and just lock it in their forward half. But again, G- GWS have the ability, and that's why I picked him as one of my big risers, the ability to move the ball end-to-end. That's what Kingsley fixed first, and now they're starting to get their forward half and contest game in, in, in style. Yeah, who's the who will be the Toby Green matchup? Yeah, with all the changes, I've, it, probably Ryan Burton. He's mm. been getting the he's, yep. yeah, Charlie Cameron and things like that, so he should start on him. Uh, D's are going to have to make some forced changes as well. So, obviously, Gus Brayshaw is going to be out. Jacob Van Royen also out through suspension. Max Gorn. Max Gorn has a broken toe, it's been reported. Um, there's Can't questions. you'll miss, but you just you don't know the severity. So, there are those sort of um, those variables, but there's also just the, the dysfunction around the forward line. And we, we did talk about it earlier, but, you know, the, the plus 32 inside 50s and still losing the game. Uh, and we've, we've talked about the quality of their inside 50s before. Mm. And, and this is one of the things that we asked Christian to kind of have a look at is just how 
how they differ to every other club and if it is noticeable that their inside 50s, despite being high in terms of numbers, are poorer. Yeah, well, the easiest one to look at is your kick rating when you go inside 50 again. So it's just looking at um, how much pressure you're under, the target you're trying to hit and how well you do that. They are 18th for their kick rating inside 50. So a little bit of that is execution rather than what's ahead of the ball. That's a guy, you know, could be kicking to a guy 40 metres in space and missing him or getting a spoil instead of a mark type thing. So their kick rating's not good. When they get it again, we look at your land zone. So, you, you know, whether you're landing it within 35 metres of goal or outside 35 metres of goal. When they kick the ball inside 50 and land it within 35 metres of goal, they're, they're the second worst at turning those or at retaining possession from those. So they don't have sort of those deep, deep forwards. It does to me feel like a lot of their forwards pick it, fritch. They, they, they do sort of come up closer to the arc and sort of win that, that shallower entry rather than a deeper entry. But yeah, as I said, they're just... The retention rate for the shallow entry is still out. I think it was 11th or 12th, so not great either. So a few numbers there. But going back to Thursday night, I think the biggest one for me is who was kicking inside 50 for them. Mm. So Max Gorn and uh, Clayton Oliver had 18 kicks inside 50 uh, between them. They both had nine each. Uh, two of those, uh, both Max Gorns, were resulting in a behind. So zero, zero goals from those 18 kicks inside 50. And I've looked at the vision of Max Gorn's kicks inside 50. They're all 50-meter bombs, yeah. Yeah. either from a set kick or you know, turning and snapping from the center spouse. Well, he never kicks. I've never seen him kick it short. Yeah, he so just and, kicks the cover off. It and again, time. Oliver Oliver does have pretty good retention numbers going inside 50, but I felt like he was the same on the night. He was more about getting it concerned about getting it in there, hard and strong type thing, rather than you know trying to sort of um, finesse a, a smaller kick or you know one of those. Uh, a lot of people love so, this term, lowering the eyes and hitting something short. But it, there were it was Gorn and. Oliver turning and just banging it long. I think they need to get it to three surprising names that are really good kicks inside 50 for them. Neil Bullen. Tom Sparrow. Uh, no, so it was Neil Bullen, um, Trent Rivers, and yeah, Lockie Hunter. Rivers, Rivers. Yeah. All, Rivers. And Lockie Hunter, for me, he's one. He knows he can't kick 50 metres, so he's mm. always able to find those 20, 30 metre yeah. targets. Uh, what do the Ds do with their forward line? So obviously Van Royen has to go out, so there needs to be some changes. You think, you know, Gorn in, in strife, maybe Grundy gets the call up despite meeting with Port Adelaide during the week and has, all this kind I mean, of has nonsense. has to be a massive chance. So whenever you t- heard Gorn, and he'd been talking about it for three or four weeks, Gorn kept pumping up as Van Royen being, he is clearly our second ruckman. We, everyone's saying we're playing without a second ruckman. They said Van Royen's our second ruckman. I looked it up. He's had 17 ruck contests per game in the last seven weeks. Which is um, second, second ruckman areas. Yeah, yeah. and, and well, second behind Gordon. So else, clearly, if, if, if Grundy isn't playing, who else is going to do it? Tom Tom McDonald had one game McDonald, recently yeah. where he had a lot, but, he, but up until it was up, the first four rounds they were using him sparingly in the ruck. Mm. Hasn't really done it since. He's only done one game since. But again, if they like that second ruckman role... It's, it's but depending Brody on the severity a of the, the Gorn injury, suggest let's let's until we know more. I think he's going to play. He's the skipper. Yeah, he's no, he's going to play. But if it's, I think he's going to play kind of regardless. But if it's worse than you think, where it's he's not able to get around the ground as easily as he would normally be able to. Is there something to be said where he plays as a permanent forward and Grundy plays full time oh. ruck? You'd hate to be having to tinker with the magnets this much in a final. Yeah, no, if if Gorn's fit, he's playing eighty yeah. percent rock. Mm. Uh, Petraka goes forward, maybe. Well, he ha- I mean, he has been, but I think no, no, no. As in, as in more, more permanently. Well, I, I think he kind of has been. I mean, the, the, but Melbourne looked to be playing their best when he went into the midfield. This was. But the now issue. Gus Brayshaw's out as well, and and you look at last yeah. time. Melbourne played Carlton. No, I think Brayshaw had I th- 32 touches. Yeah, I think with Carlton's contest work, the fact that Carlton has consistently been, certainly in the back half of the year, the number one sort of midfield, number one contested ball clearances and all that, so all that, 
I think you have to have Petrarca playing in the midfield. Um, so the Blues obviously lose Mackay, uh, and Martin will, will, let's assume he's going to miss. I know that he's challenging at the tribunal, but if he gets it down, I think he gets it down to, to at least one week. So If Martin gets one week and Braden Maynard gets three weeks, there's something wrong. No, no, if, if Braden Maynard gets off and Martin gets two weeks as or, or one week, there's something he that's punched, off. He punched let's, someone we're getting back in into the this. face. <laughs> uh, yes, anyway. So who comes in? Jack Silvani probably comes in if he's fit. Uh, yeah, I think he probably does. And do you persist with the two Ruckman plus Silvani? Because Silvani, you talk about a second Ruck role, has been so able to do that in the past. That's an interesting question. I, I can't see any reason why they would drop either one of those Ruckman after... So you're playing two and a half Rucks. That's the thing. Yeah, who, I think who, that's what I mean. Are I think, you dropping? Yeah, I think Silvani's yeah. just going to be a permanent... I, I, don't, I don't think Silvani needs to go near the Ruck. He can sort of come up as that high half forward and have an impact at the stoppages yeah. at ground level, but he doesn't yeah. need to take a think, ruck contest. Yeah. I think or that's not. exactly it. I, him being able to do it is a bonus, but it's not. he's not he's in not the side to be a ruckman. He, he Just let him play forward. I think with the with the Harry Mackay out, I want to be a bit blasphemous here for Carlton supporters, but the heat goes a little bit on Charlie Kerno. So I had a look at his record this year. Um, he hasn't got a great finals record, well, Chuck. Yeah, well, <laughs> only one goal, yeah. But against top eight teams, so across the year, 2.3 goals against top eight teams. But a fairly good result. He's had a six-goal game against Collingwood and a couple of threes. Got 19 against the Eagles. Um, yeah, and, and 4.3 goals per game against the bottom 10, which, you know, helped by a couple of games against the Eagles and things like that. But it's where he's also taken his marks. He's taken the exact same amount of marks against top eight and bottom 10 teams. So somewhere about 7.1, 7.2 marks against either of those two oppositions. 1.8 in the forward 50 against top eight teams, 4.1 per game against the bottom 10 teams. So he was really good at taking those high marks on the wing yep. uh, late in the game. But it is, it, there hasn't really been a game besides that Collingwood game where the opposition has had to sort of really, a top eight opposition anyway, has really had to change their defensive structure yep. to make sure Kerno doesn't get off the leash. Mm. That's something that Carlton needs to start to work out. If they can start like... Again, Lever will start to sort of float and, and be worried about him. But if he gets three or four early, then Lever's got to really stay back a bit more. And it changes everyone's sort of cha- uh, and, uh, train of thought. So, again, big one for Charlie to step up against good teams. In three words, a winner and a margin for both games, Jake. Three words. That's two. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how to do that. Um, haven't thought about this at all. Well, I know this is more than three Just words. Your gut feeling. My gut feeling Melbourne by eight points and the Giants by fourteen. Christian. I think the Giants are going to win. I think I'm I'm pretty confident in the Giants this week. Yeah, Melbourne by five, Port by twenty, Blues by a kick, <laughs> Power <laughs> by two. We do always two get we do always get sucked into the elimination final winners. Um, it hasn't been as bad this year. Some of the queries we get back in the office of give us, you know, surely that team yeah. can't win. It's like they've only lost the one game. But given, but not to bang on at the point, but given we'd spoken about it all year, the top four never felt they were that far. But also the form of the and top the, four sorry, teams. The form of the top four compared in the to last the form of the two weeks, teams coming yeah, from below. Yeah, it never felt, if anything, you can make the case that the 5 to 8 were in better form. So I don't think it's crazy this year. I would be surprised if both Melbourne and Port won. Yes. I, I imagine at least one of them will lose. I agree with that. Uh, if you have a question for us at all, just hit us up at Footy Tips on Twitter. 
Uh, this one comes from Michael Porter. My mates always argue NBA about player. who is an average AFL player, in quote marks, average. Insight from Christian on who would be considered an average player in the league would be fascinating. Now, this could be taken as a couple of ways. Obviously, you're a very good player and you just, you know, you're, you're a good middle of the road player or you're average. Let's let's put it out there. We're not talking about Jeezy's average. We're talking well, we about Jeezy's he's average. We are. There's the same thing. The positive spin, not the negative no, spin. No, but it's the same thing. How many players in the league? 700. You're the 350th yeah, best player. I think it's about 800 in the league. But again, looked at this in numerous different ways. Could have spent days on it. It was an interesting query. So, when you're trying to get it down to one name, again, it gets a bit, you know, uh, you want to make sure you're sort of covering all angles. But the one measure that we use that we sort of spoke about rating points and ranking points, ranking points being the original one from 99, the way that was set up, again, it was, it was based on 44 players playing. But the 3,300 points that are available in an AFL game is based on an an average score in that would be 75 points per player. So an average player in a game back when Champion Data started was going to get 75 point ranking points per game. So all I did is sort all the players this year and looked at who averaged closest to 75 ranking points in a game this year. Matt Kennedy for Carlton came up. So again, I thought, yeah, fair enough. Pretty average, average player. player. Like, and again, an average player for Has me is games? he's Has a good player games? because he plays midfield. So he's clearly like... Midfielders are better players usually. You know, your best players play midfield. But he's not a dominant midfielder. He's probably you know not a, a straight twenty-two selection. That's what I mean. So if, if if every club is fully fit, how many games is how many clubs is he getting a game for? Well, considering how many are on the list, sort of forty-five. Yeah, yeah. halfish. Like that so makes sense. If you're sense. on the precipice, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Any um, other thoughts? Yeah. Again, using rating points in the same sort of way. So just looking at rating points is an arbitrary number. So there's not a thirty-three hundred value going out for every single game. But just looking at everyone's average for that and who was. Ma- um, the closest to the average of all the players. That was Jack Zebel this year. Um, and then a, a couple generous. of the data guys behind me said, you know, you've got to use median as a better way. So 2023 median ratings player. So just looking at all the players that have played at least six games for this one. Who's smack bang in the re- middle for rating points? It was Tyson Stengel this year, which okay. you sort of said, you know, yeah, gone from All-Australian down to, you know, being An called average. Um, and Take that with a flag though, wouldn't you? So that's using rating points. Using ranking points. Another one that I sort of agree with, Darcy Fogarty. Just a, an awesome goal kicker, but what else has he really done? Like he'd get a game in most teams, a yeah. pretty good forward, but the same thing, he's never, never really dominated See, for the whole season. Because I make the case he'd get a game in just about every team, really. I mean, but and his upside is so good. His upside is easily top hundred player in the in the comp. Forget around the three four hundred mark. So that's an interesting one. But you're right; it's on. It's measured he's, on output. He's, he's living. Output. He's living on this upside for quite a few yeah. years now, though. So, um, but my favourite one, looking so going back to 2010 to 2023, we got this other measure, 100x rating points, which again looks at every position you're playing and how many rating points you should get. So we know key defenders are going to score less than midfielders. So it takes into account that if you're a key defender and score four, then then that's a good game compared to a midfielder scoring ten, etc., etc. Yeah. Went back to 2010. Tried to find the person that had played at least about 50 games in that time and was just smack bang on 0% output. <laughs> Ryan Bastanak. And I so think I've cool. found the most average player of the last 14 years. Bastanak, great player. 162 game <laughs> career or so. Two clubs wanted him. Picked most week as a winger. But Could I wouldn't walk say, past him in the street. Wouldn't That's say good. he's more than an average player, which again, I, I don't think is a knock on you. As, no, as no, to be he's an had, average a, player he had a very AFL. good AFL career. Yeah, um, bit of but David just, McKay just, about him. Just... just. <laughs> Kind of hoped he came up there, but yeah. Uh, I only just saw this one. So Joel Sweet put this to us uh, last night. I didn't see this. Does winning post-clearance contested possession 
give you a better chance of winning a game in finals than it does in the home and away season? Ooh, good one. It's going to be um, off the top of your head. Sorry about that. I'll, we can answer that on Twitter, can't we? I'll send, we I'll send you through the figures as soon as we finish in here. All right, uh, Joel, I'll hit you up on Twitter. Uh, we're getting into red time of this podcast brought to you by Subway, which means, Jake, it's time for Is the Hype Justified or Is it Hyperbole? If a player goes off for a head injury assessment, the sub should be allowed to come on, a la the concussion sub in 2013, even if it means the sub comes back off to be used again if the player passes the HIA. Player passes, sorry. I don't mind this. I, I'm going to say justify it with one little caveat. I, I quite like that idea, but we need to introduce AFL doctors at each game to be able to make these decisions. We independent doctors. So independent doctors. We can't have... We can't just leave it up to the clubs to decide on this because then, you know, they're, they're going to take take the piss with it, and, you, and we we know that's going to happen. So in 2013, that you know there were penalties if you misused the sub in that way. Yeah, and that went out, but but that's gone out the window. Yes. So if they were to introduce this, who's to say? Oh, you know, we got to check this bloke for a HIA. Let's get fresh legs on for 20 minutes. Mm. So I think I, I quite like the idea of it. But I think they'd have to tweak that to make sure, just to ensure the integrity. Oh, I agree with you. Um, for the first time, probably this podcast, <laughs> I think we've we've come to an agreement. Almost well coming to blows before. Uh, Christian, Matt Cottrell played the best game of his career on Friday. He was also a childhood blue bagger. Do players who suit up for the club they supported give a little more than if they were playing for a rival? No, you'd you'd like to think so. There. Yeah, exactly. We don't we don't keep stats on who the te- who the kids were supporting there you go. as your kids. Next stat. That would be a good one. Bring back um, the prospectus well, and put we'll, that in there. We'll probably need them to yeah. We'll probably need to redesign the draft nomination form or something to put club supported or something in there so I we can keep it. track of that. Um, I don't know. You, you talk about Cottrell and someone like that. I, I, the first name that comes to my mind. I was just reading the story a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, he does. He does love a jumper grab, Matty Cottrell. Um, but another one is Trent Bianco. I just remember that the. Stories around him, Collingwood took him in a couple of drafts two or three years ago, um, you know, sort of 30s, a low, low 30s pick, so second round pick, and, and it was just a whole lot of articles about how he's, he was just a one-eyed Collingwood supporter, his whole family was Collingwood supporter. Now there's sort of, sort of you know, as, as list movements comes out that he may be opt for a trade or may not be safe for, you know, at Collingwood next year, so it sort of goes the other way as well. It's like, how devastating would it be that you're trying to make it as a career and the team that you've loved is the first team that delists you, sort of thing. So I think it works both ways. I mean, things change. Look at the Crows and Matt Crouch. They didn't, they couldn't stand him, and now they're <laughs> they back. It's a good point, uh, Jake. Just to finish up, Ray Chamberlain didn't umpire on the weekend. Now it was because he he's not fit enough to bounce the footy at the moment, so he's got an in, he's carrying an injury basically. Well, he's but this has been I don't want to knock the guy, but this has been a bit of a theme throughout his umpiring tenure. Well. So my, my thought here is, and tell me if it's justified or if it's hyperbole, he must be umpiring even if he can't bounce the ball because he's one of the best 16 umpires. Disagree. That's part of the job. Wow. So would you scrap the bounce to get well, the best I umpires scrap, in? I, I, not, I would also I'm say that one for the bounce. there I are think... four field umpires. Only one doesn't... If, if one doesn't need to bounce, there's still no, three other always, blokes that, they're always or, or women that can. Through. So I think... I, I disagree. You can't... That's like saying, oh, well, he... This guy can should he's a great player, but he can't kick for goal. He should be in the team. It's <laughs> did like you, no. 
Just a little bit off, off the side note here. 25 seconds left in the Carlton-Melbourne game. Were you expecting a throw-up at that centre bounce? or Carlton-Melbourne or Carlton-Sydney? Sorry, Carlton-Sydney. Uh, no, it was raining at some point during that game and they yeah, decided no, to throw yeah, it up but recently. 25, I thought late was in the game... Was there not a 6-6-6? No, just late in the game, usually they don't want to risk a off-skew bounce. Yeah, yeah, so they know they're going to lose three or four seconds. So why does it not matter at the start of a quarter? I don't know, but, the, but they have come out and said to us, late in games... They'll we throw will, it up. We will throw it up. If oh, they're just trying to sneak it in here. I thought that twenty-five seconds might have been time, but they didn't. Well, they, they do they, lose they, they time. It, they so. don't. They don't start the clock again. It's not like the NFL where shouldn't they reset it, the, the, the clock. Should it? Well, that's another discussion. But should the time start counting once it's the ball's touched? Oh, that's a good one. So the ball goes up and, and until Max Gorn touches so it's it, it's touched, and then yeah. the time has yeah. started. So then I agree with you a bit bounces, too much here. What's going on? Other bounces don't. Because that's ridiculous. Whether it's in the last twenty seconds or first twenty seconds, like why do we just lose three seconds of the game? Yeah, my other thought would be bouncing's not that hard. Well, come on, show us how it's done, Mister Expert. I and and, run, and, and take, on the internet, why don't you reach did you out run? To did you run twelve k's while you were doing these bounces? Yeah, I haven't run twelve k's. Well, that's, <laughs> the umpires are so you got you got to add that into the job description. <laughs> Pass. All right, good stuff. Uh, if you agree with Jake and uh, the Maynard stuff, uh, let us know at Footy Tips on Twitter. If you disagree with Jake, please let us know uh, at Footy Tips on Twitter. Christian, good to chat with you. We'll speak some prelims and we'll do a Brownlow special pod next week as well, Ooh, Jake. We're getting close. Yeah, we're so we'll probably release that maybe Thursday before the Brownlow. Thursday before the Brownlow, as in four days before. Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. Sounds good. So uh, keep an eye out for that. We'll have some off-season content as well. But in the meantime, we'll speak to you in the next episode. Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod wherever you get your podcasts.